Let's take our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. And we'll continue our series this morning. I'm going to speak tonight from Psalm 26. I know we're going through Psalms on Wednesday nights. And I'm not going to really kind of follow the format of the survey that we're doing on Wednesdays tonight. But I do want to speak uh, in terms of gratitude and, and thanksgiving this evening. <clears throat> and so this morning, I want to stay with our, our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and our sub-series under that on the Beatitudes. And so we're going to focus this morning on verse number 8. Uh, we'll read the first 12 verses as we've been doing. And then we'll, <clears throat> and then we'll jump in and right in back to verse number 8. So the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus assembles the crowd on the mount, gets ready to preach the sermon. And it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In verse number 8 again he says, Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And I want to speak this morning on this thought, living in the presence of God. Well, let's pray. Fathers, we come to you the, again this morning. We just thank you for the promise of your, of your presence with us. Lord, we need you. We long for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work freely in our midst this morning, that you convict us of our sin. If there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that's uncertain about whether they'll be in your presence whenever they leave this life, Lord, if they're trusting in, uh, in religion or they're trusting in good deeds or they're trusting in, uh, in their own ability to, to just be a good person, Lord, may they come to understand this morning that none of us, as good as we may be, can ever be good enough to make it to you on our own. That you had to come, that you had to die, that you had to offer yourself a sacrifice and atonement for our sin. Or may we realize that without accepting you, and repenting of our sin, we can never truly be saved, never truly know what it's like to be your child. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has yet to experience that grace and your love in such a manner, may today be the day that you open their eyes and that you help them to see. Or perhaps others that are struggling uh, in their walk with you, they're far from you, or they're, they're adrift or distracted, going through difficult times. Lord, I pray today you would encourage them and that you would draw them back to you. Those that are walking with you and are strong in their faith this morning, I pray that you would just help them to grow stronger and to bear the burden for others, to help lead others to you and whatever realm and whatever opportunities you present before them. Help us this morning to understand, Lord, that we must have your presence. Anything short of your presence in our life leaves us with a life that you never intended for us to live. And Lord, a life that's shortchanged. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to experience your presence in life that you've designed for us to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here and just, um, and for the sake of some guests this morning and also just to kind of reset our train of thought in here, we're looking at particularly right now uh, the Beatitudes. We'll move into a different segment in a few weeks of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, but we are uh, this morning going through still the Beatitudes or attitudes which would shape our lives. And, and really Jesus is setting forth the course of his ministry. So what's Jesus communicating to this multitude? And what he's communicating is simply this. I am coming and I am going to rewrite everything. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's been promised. Here is the basic outline of my ministry. This is what it's about. This is what life is going to look like. This is what is going to be pleasing to God. And in the first four Beatitudes or attitudes, what he's described to us is those things which cause us to be brought into the presence of God. 
What causes God to want to be in our presence? What brings us into God's presence? And uh, we looked at, uh, at first understanding when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, that we have to come to an understanding that I need God. If you don't understand this morning that you need God, then you're never going to go out of your way to walk with God, to, to learn of God, to know God. I must come to the place in my life where I recognize, God, I need you. I need your presence in my life. And so there is a, 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 a the, when we meet people, when we cultivate relationships, when we begin to share the gospel, what we're really trying to communicate to someone that's lost when we communicate to them the gospel is their need for Christ. If they don't ever come to the place where they realize they have a need, then they may listen politely to what we say, but it's not really going to be absorbed. And so we have to understand we have a need. Then what, when we understand we have a need, the next step and what naturally occurs in our heart, oh, I have a need. I've sinned. God's holy. I need him. He's the one that can fix me. Blessed are they that mourn. In other words, I have a brokenness about me. I have a, a come to a place in my life where there is a brokenness in my spirit. Not that I'm walking around defeated, but that I am walking with the knowledge of the sin that's in my life has broken me and broken my relationship with God. And so I see that I need him. Because I see that I need him, I realize that things in my life are broken and I'm, I'm broken. In other words, I'm not defiantly resisting him. Uh, I'm, not I'm not straining at his leading, but I'm broken. My will is broken. Think of breaking a horse or training some other type of an animal. Until that animal's will is broken, then you cannot, it's really of no value. It's not of any value on the farm. It's not of any value in the home. It's not of any value whatsoever. And nor are we whenever we stand defiant to God. When we understand that we have a need and we mourn or we're, uh, or we're broken, then we come to a place where then we're willing to submit and surrender to the will of God. And he says next, he says, blessed are the meek. Those who have said, God, I need you. My will is broken by the weight of my sin. And God, now I, I submit to you. I've done it my way and I've failed miserably. I've tried to live life to, to, to the wisdom and the knowledge of man, and, I've, and my home is broken. My family is broken. Perhaps your family is not broken. Your home is not broken, but uh, at least externally it looks intact. But internally, the, the walk with God and the, and the love and the, and the relationships perhaps are lacking or wanting. Or, uh, or there are other issues that have developed. That there's something that causes us to realize, God, I, I've tried to do this my way, and it's not worked. And so I'm willing to submit to you. Then he said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. What does that mean? I become hungry for God. God, you are the solution to my problem. I'm hungry for you. I have a problem. That problem has broken me. I'm now submitted to do things your way, Lord. I need your presence. I'm hungry. I'm yearning for you. I'm yearning for God. So when we see the first four of the Beatitudes, what we're seeing is we're seeing God demonstrating our need for him and bringing us or drawing us into his presence. Now, the second four Beatitudes, we started with one last week, where the first one are what Jesus, what our lives look like when Jesus begins to take up residence and begins to transform us. By the way, Jesus doesn't want to just come into your life and hang out. He wants to transform fundamentally who and what we are. He doesn't want to come into my life and leave me the way that I was. He wants to come into my life and change me. Now listen, you can change without being changed. In other words, I can be disciplined and I can turn over a new leaf and I can change my behavior because I'm, because I'm stubborn or because I'm disciplined or because I make it a high priority, but not ever really be changed on the inside. And what we see a lot of times in, in churches <coughs> is that there's a lot of conformity, but there's not much transformity. May I say to you this morning that the Lord Jesus Christ is not nearly as interested in, in, in our conforming into his image as he is in transforming us into his image. See, I can change everything on the outside and be wicked to the core inside. But I can't be right with God inside and it not cause an effect and change outwardly. I can't know God, walk with God, love God, serve God uh, and, and, and in my heart and there not be an outward change. However, I can put on a great show and live a very convincing life outwardly and never really know God inwardly. I'm not interested in that kind of Christianity. 
I, I'm not interested in, in, the, in the kind of Christian life that is just simply uh, do this. I, I was with someone the other day and, and they, were, they were talking about all the things that they were going to do. And basically, it was even about spending time with family members. And they were going down, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We're gonna, it was a checklist. It's almost like the same way in the spiritual life. We've been kind of conditioned sometimes to think, well, if I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray this much time a day and I read this many chapters a day and I go to church this many times a week and I, uh, and I, and I listen to this and I watch that or I don't listen to this and I don't watch that, then I'm a godly good Christian. It's not necessarily true. You can do all the right things and not be a Christian at all. You can do all kinds of things that, that, that I could prove biblically are pleasing to the Lord and still not be a Christian. Because I have high character and discipline. And I want my life to look that way. Look at the Pharisees. Look at, at Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul. Uh, if there was anyone that was the epitome of walking and towing the line religiously with the idea and the conv being convinced in his own heart that he was doing it to serve God, even to the persecuting of the real church, it was the Apostle Paul before his salvation. But he was wicked at heart until he met Jesus one day and realized then, and the light came on and his eyes were open. The blinders uh, fell off and he began to see for the, the, the truth of who the Son of God is. And what I'm saying this morning is this, is that when God takes up residence in my life, when I'm drawn into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, when I'm truly walking with him, then he begins to transform me from the inside out. By the way, Satan, and you'll hear, if you come to church here long, you'll hear me say this re repeatedly. Because I want it to sink in. I want it to be second nature to us. Satan always works from the outside in. God always works from the inside out. And so whenever I feel outward pressure to do something, then that's not God that's, that's leading me. But what if it's a good thing? God doesn't start there. And Satan can trip you up and is willing to trip up good people that want to do right by getting them to focus on all of their outward actions rather than on their inward relationship with Christ. If God changes who I am inwardly, the outside will take care of itself in time. Maybe not as fast as some pastors would like or some uh, other church members would like or, or, or what even myself as a believer would like, but the change is real and genuine because it's the transformative work of the Holy Spirit of God in my heart. And so we looked at that last week when, he, when that, that process began and he said, blessed are the merciful. By the way, mercy is the epitome of who and what Jesus Christ is. Why did he take pity on us? Why did he leave heaven? Why did he put on human flesh? Why was he virgin born and crucified in our place? Because he wanted to show mercy to us. If I'm not merciful, I'm not really exhibiting the spirit of Christ. So, Pastor, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. May I remind you this morning, I'm not going to re-preach the message from last week, but other than to just say this, that if I, I cannot show mercy until I have been wronged. If you have not legitimately injured me, I cannot show mercy to you. Jesus showed us mercy because we wounded him. And I, I, I want to be the kind of person that when I'm wounded, my first response is not, I'm going to get mine, I'm going to get my revenge, I'm going to get my pound of flesh. My first response is, I want to be merciful in the Spirit of Christ. And then this morning we see here, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about to be pure in heart. Not pure in outward action, pure in heart. What, is, what does that mean? Well, the word pure simply means unmixed. It means to be separated from any other subject or foreign matter. So whenever you see, <coughs> whenever you see uh, metals that are purified and they go through the process of removing debris and removing the dross and all of that kind of thing, we're all familiar with, most of us are familiar with the process of the heating and the separating. Uh, what are we doing? We're, we're removing foreign debris. We're removing impurities to leave only that which is pure. My life is a lot of things but pure in the eyes of God is not one of them. The, the growing in the grace of the Lord, the learning his word, the living as he leads and directs, there is a process of purification that is constantly ongoing in the life of the believer. To be pure is to be separated from any foreign matter. Blessed are the pure in heart. In other words, there's nothing in my heart but Jesus Christ. So, Pastor, what about my wife? What about my children? I cannot truly 
love them properly until Jesus is first and foremost in my heart and life. If I'm love, I can, listen, a, a person that doesn't know the Lord can love his family. But not the way, not to the fullest. Not the way God intended when he created us. There's always going to be something that's missing. Why? Because we only love as we're loved by God. That's our, that's our, our indicator. That's our, uh, our, it gives us our direction, our example of love. So to be pure is to be unmixed. To be pure in heart is principally to give giving one's heart wholly to God. So if I would say this morning that I am, my heart is pure with God, that means that my heart is wholly God's. Doesn't, no, it doesn't belong to anyone else but God. So what about your wife of 30 plus years? My wife has my heart because God has my heart. What about your children? They have my, my grandchildren. They have my heart because God has my heart. And my, my love is from God and then expressed to them. Uh, God has given us that example. And so pure in heart, principally, it's giving my heart wholly to God. If I live a life where I say, okay, uh, God, I, I love you, but I don't, have time, I don't have time to give you because I also love my wife, my children, my grandchildren. I have to give them my heart. My heart is wholly God's. Does that mean, listen, that means that my wife and my children, my wife's in the nursery this morning, if you're a guest, she's here. Uh, and so uh, if, if, my, if my heart is wholly God's and my wife or my children or my grandchildren choose to, to do things in a way that's contrary to the word of God, then that means that God's first. My children or my wife decide they're not coming to church. I read a book recently and the, the man who wrote it was a pastor and his own wife left his church. He was that hard to get along with. Uh, and so he said, my, my wife came to me and she said, by the way, the church that you pastor, I'm no longer a member there. And she started going somewhere else for a while. Uh, got his attention. Uh, and so to produce some great change, uh, if, if she would have said, I'm not going to church at all, then he just says, well, I'm, I'm going. My heart is God's first. My loyalty is first and foremost to the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart. Doesn't mean that he didn't still love his wife. It doesn't mean that they didn't reconcile and fix their problems. They did. Uh, and it doesn't mean, but it meant, it meant that my children could decide uh, that, or I've got extended family member, if they decided to come in and say, hey, uh, you know, we're going to show up at uh, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning uh, and we're going to stay till about three or four in the afternoon. Uh, and they know uh, that we're at church, that we're worshiping God, that we're serving the Lord. I'm just going to say, well, the key's under the mat. Uh, we'll be home at this time. Why? Because this is that you know. You know what we do. You know the priority that we put. We, you know the, 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 uh, the example that we've set. And we, we're not, uh, if, if you want to push that, I, I tried that once when I was, uh, when I first got out of the military, we moved to Chattanooga and our, uh, we uh, were moving from a place and uh, one place to another. I think when we bought our first house and, uh, and we weren't going to church at the time. And, and uh, I had arranged for uh, my wife's brother and brother-in-law to come and help me load the truck. And, uh, and they, they didn't show up until after church. I was pretty upset that day because I wasn't right with the Lord. But boy, looking back on that, I sure appreciate it now. Because it sent a message to me. I knew better. And I knew that I was encroaching upon their time and asking them to violate their convictions. And they didn't. And it, it sent a message. My response wasn't the right response initially, but in time I came to appreciate the stand that they took for God. Uh, and so, and whenever church was over and they, they came and I fed them and they helped finish loading the truck. I'd already carried the washer and the dryer down the stairs and got it on the truck, some of that big stuff. Uh, but I learned a lesson that day. I, I'm just saying this morning that my heart has to be given wholly to God. T.W. Hunt wrote, that if our hearts are given wholly to God, we will not allow foreign elements to enter. When I give God my heart, there's no room for anything else in my heart. There's no room for anything that God would disapprove of, that, God, uh, that, that would harm my relationship with God to enter. It's just a matter of what priority do I give the Lord in my life? Is my heart pure? I'm not saying this morning that my heart has to be completely pure for God to, to speak to me, for God to use me, for God to be growing me. It's another level. What Jesus is communicating here is I want to take you from a lost condition all the way to an abundant life. 
I, I'm, and, and listen, the reality is this morning is that almost everyone in the room is somewhere in between. There's a journey. And that means along the way, there are a lot of pitfalls. In 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 4, the wisest man on the face of the earth, King Solomon, is going through some problems. He's allowed his priorities and his relationships to impact his life with God. And in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, His heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father's. See, David's heart was completely with God. So, Pastor, you did not realize what David did. Yes. David committed far greater sins than did Solomon in the human mind. But David's heart was completely with God. Solomon's was not. What did Solomon do? Well, he, he committed uh, adultery, fornication. But what was David's issue? David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. David committed crimes that we would look at today and say those are far exceed what Solomon did. Even in his uh, lifestyle with hundreds of wives and concubines uh, was acceptable in his culture. Even though it was against the order that God set in place. How, what is Solomon's great crime? Solomon's heart was not completely with God. Solomon allowed his heart to be turned away from God because of the relationships that he had with his wives and his concubines who he allowed to bring their false gods and systems of worship in, which he in time began to follow after. Was he and someone who had a relationship with God? Clearly he was. God spoke to him personally. God, God led him directly. But in time... He found himself farther from God. David committed horrendous crimes, but always came back to God. His heart was always God. He was described as a man after God's own heart. David, the adulterer, the murderer, a man after God's own heart. A man whose performance was shameful, but his heart was praiseworthy. He wrote most of the Psalms. He had a song in his heart. And that's what it is about David that sets him apart, that makes him so different. What, how do we see that and how could God say he's a man after mine heart? David always had a song. He's always writing on the run from Saul. He's writing. The death of a child and, and, and punishment for his sin. He's worshiping. Whatever David was going through, whether it was good or bad, whether it was a high or whether it was a low, whether it was something that he was ashamed of or something that he could be proud of, he always came back to the Lord and had a song in his heart. Proverbs 23, 6 says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eye observe my ways. David always had his eye on the Lord. He didn't always make the right decision. He didn't always walk with God. He just certainly did not always please God. And when he didn't, he paid a high price for it. And sometimes his people paid a high price for it too. But it always broke his heart. It always drew him back to God. So what do we see in David's life that exemplifies for us the idea here? We see it in Peter's life in some, in some ways as well. That blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What we see is a man whose heart was pure. A man who repeatedly went to God and said, Try my ways. Judge me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, he's saying, God, I have confessed every sin that I'm aware of. Show me the deep lying things that, I'm, that I don't even recognize as sin that are a hindrance to me and reveal them to me that I might confess and make them right. Why? Because he wanted nothing impure in his heart and in his mind to come between him and God. My heart, he, he desired, was to be pure. So what, is it, some, what are some principles that we see about purity of heart? Number one this morning, consider that a pure heart has an uncompromising love. A pure heart has uncompromising love. I, I'm glad this morning that Jesus doesn't love me when I'm good and turn away from me whenever I'm bad. You say, Pastor, will, but will the Lord bless you and keep you in his favor the same? No, but he's never going to turn his back on me. He's never going to say, I don't love you anymore. He's never going to communicate by word or deed 
anything other than love. Do you understand this morning that if Pedro was my son and, and Pedro acted out, and if I was his father and I did not correct that, if I did not discipline that, the Bible says I don't love him. Does that mean I don't have an emotional tie or feeling of love for him? Of course not. What it means is, is that if as his father I love him, I'm doing what's necessary and what's best to teach him and to train him to be the man that God, that wanted, that God wanted him to be. And if I fail to do that, I'm not fully, truly loving him. Look, God deals with us in our sin as a father deals with his son. He chastens us. He sometimes punishes our sin. That doesn't mean that he says, I don't love you, I'm taking away your salvation. No, when he saved our soul, we were born into his family, we're forever his child. David committed murder, but God never said, you're no longer mine. He said, this is the price you're going to pay. And David humbled himself and repented. And David eventually was brought back into the favor, the grace, and the power of God. What I'm saying this morning is that a pure heart has an uncompromised love. There is nothing that can compromise the Lord Jesus Christ's love for me. You realize that every person that's lost this morning that will die and spend eternity in a lake of fire is spending it there having God provided all of the pure love of heaven to them. They just rejected it. They, no one can, can die and spend eternity separated from God because God didn't love them. God's love for me is unconditional. It's not dependent upon my actions or my deeds. God's blessing is, but not his love. He loved us. He came for all men. He came that he might, that he might search and seek us out. A pure heart is an uncompromised love. Two thoughts about this. Number one, I would say our love for God is the source of our love for all else. We love him because he first loved us. Do you realize this morning that we do not even know how to love except for the love that we've experienced from God? Yeah. <coughs> we have a brand new granddaughter. I've just seen her once so far. Uh, and so other grandparents are in town too. And, and so uh, she's just a, a, week, a week, about eight days old, eight or nine days old. Uh, and so uh, she has no clue how to love. No concept whatsoever. All she knows how to do uh, is, is cry and sleep and eat and make a mess. That's all she knows how to do. Now, my one-year-old grandson, he can't talk yet, but he's developing a personality and he knows how to express love. It's not the same as our six-year-old granddaughter or four-year-old granddaughter or even three-year-old grandson. But the one-year-old knows how to look at you with eyes of love. And he knows how to stretch a hand out. He knows how when somebody's got him and he wants someone else to point to them. He knows how to, and he sure, certainly knows how to tell you uh, how much he loves to eat. <laughs> he, he, the, we learn early how to communicate, but how do we learn? We're born without any capacity or knowledge or understanding of love, but we learn to love because our parents loved us. They provided for our needs. They, they cuddled us. They, uh, they comforted us when, our, uh, when, we, when we wept and didn't even know what we were doing. Uh, they, they lo we loved because we were loved. And my friends, this morning, we love because we were loved. God loved us. Whether we're saved or lost, we're on this earth in the love of God. And when we understand that God loves us, what I have to understand is that my love for God is the source of my love for everything else. I, the, the purer my love is with God, the purer my love for my wife will be. The purer my love for my, uh, for my friends and family will be. For my children and grandchildren will be. It is God that expresses, that shows, that teaches us how to love. Our love for God is the source of our love for all else. Secondly, I would say that only an impure heart can love, uh, or only an impure heart can love outside of God. I, I can't have an impure heart and love like God loves. An impure heart, I, I, what I'm saying this morning is just simply this. If I have no idea who God is and if I worship a false God, I, I'm not arguing this morning that someone that has no clue who Jesus Christ is doesn't love their family. I'm not, I'm not saying that. That's a ridiculous statement. What I'm saying is, is that the capacity to love them outside of God is impure and it's lacking. 
I can never fully love except I love them through Christ. I can never truly express pure love to my children, grandchildren, except for through the love that I have from God and through God. I'm, I'm, I'm a better husband and father, grandfather, pastor, friend, because the love of God flows into our heart. And the more pure that love becomes, the more pure our love becomes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You understand what happens when we see God? Look at Isaiah. Look at other in Moses. Seeing God was a transformational moment in their life. When Moses saw that bush of fire, when Isaiah saw God on his throne, when Paul saw God, saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was transformative in their life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When I allow the Lord to purify my heart, he draws me, draws me to my Savior. A pure heart has an uncompromised love. Secondly, this morning, consider that a pure heart has an uncompromised loyalty. Sometimes we don't like that word very much. Two thoughts I want to make about this, two observations. Number one, our loyalty to God is the source of our loyalty for all else, or should be. There are those that would say, well, I'm loyal to family above everything. It doesn't matter if they're right or wrong, I'm going to be loyal to family. Never take sides against the family is like kind of the, the attitude that many have and, uh, and uh, and it's, a, it's a kind of a cultural thing that's, that's gone on uh, as far as like the phraseology of it. But it's like, it doesn't matter if your family's right or wrong, you're loyal to the family. That's a bad position. My loyalty must first be the Lord Jesus Christ. I have, I have taken a position at times where the family wanted me to accept something that was wrong or sinful, and I would not. And it caused some friction. There have been cases where I've gone through periods of two and three years where I've had family members that wouldn't speak to me. I didn't attack them. I didn't condemn them. I didn't. I just, if you want me to come and say that what you've done that was sinful is right, I'm not saying that. My loyalty is to the truth. Uh, and listen, I, I believe we ought to be loyal to one another. I, I believe we ought to be loyal to the things and the institutions that God has set forth. God established the home. God established the church. God established a hierarchy of leadership. But my loyalty primarily is to my Father in heaven. God will never expect my loyalty to an entity that compromises who and what he is. And just because God instituted it doesn't mean it's pure. In other words, if my family becomes corrupt... My loyalty is to God. If my church is corrupt, my loyalty is to God. If my pastor is corrupt, my loyalty is to God. God is first. But if everything is the way God designed it, I can be loyal to God, loyal to my family, loyal to my pastor, loyal to my church, loyal to my uh, Sunday school class and, my, and its teacher, uh, loyal to to my friends that are around me at large, loyalty to my place of, of employment. Listen, loyalty is a big deal and it's a good thing. So long as it's correctly aligned. A pure heart has uncompromised loyalty. Our loyalty to God is the source of our loyalty for all else. I, I cannot be loyal to anything above my loyalty to God. Second thought I would say about this is if my loyalty to God must be compromised to remain loyal to anything or anyone else, my heart is not pure. I cannot be loyal to that which is unloyal to God with a pure heart. Listen, and, and, and don't take it to like a, a strange extreme. For example, you know, if, if I was, if, if you're here this morning and you have perhaps a spouse that's unsaved and that spouse has no interest in God, should you be loyal to that spouse? Absolutely you should. You should be faithful. You should be loyal. You should protect uh, their integrity and their name. But that doesn't mean that you claim that they're saved when they're not or claim that their sin is okay. 
You understand what I'm trying to say this morning? I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be as loyal as I can be to my, to my extended family, to my wife, to my children, to, uh, to friends, to loved ones. But where they have compromised truth, truth remains supreme. Don't ask me to stand and say that what someone did that was sinful is somehow excusable or okay. It doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean that I won't try to help them. It doesn't mean that I won't go out of my way to be a blessing to them. It just simply means that I'm not going to say that this sinful thing that you did is somehow all of a sudden okay because you did it. It's wrong for that person, but it's okay for you because I love you and because you're my family member. That, that's beyond my ability to, to comprehend. But I understand that that's the way that a lot of people function today. Jesus is here saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart. He is my heart. There's no room for anything outside of him in my heart. And the purer my love is for God, the purer my life will be for him. A pure heart is uncompromised loyalty. Thirdly and lastly, I'd say a pure heart has uncompromised labor. A pure heart has uncompromised labor. You understand Jesus here is, is teaching. He's explaining what his ministry is going to be like. He's showing them what he hopes to accomplish. And we're part of the plan. You're part of God's plan this morning. I'm a part of God's plan this morning. He did not come into this world and save our souls so that we simply could just pop into church once a week and sing a few songs and hear the Bible preached to us. He, we're here to worship him and to carry his message to a dark world around us. To live in such a way that we shine a light in the darkness. If we, if, we, if we act like, talk like, sound like, do everything like the world, then there's no difference between the people that we interact with all week long and us, except for what we do for a couple hours on Sunday morning, they're never going to see a difference. That's not what he left us here to do. What he left us here to do was to be a difference maker. How can I be a difference maker, Pastor? Be pure in heart. Keep your heart pure. Keep my heart pure with God. Why? Because a pure heart has uncompromised labor. In other words, for two thoughts here. Our failures will not remain uncorrected. See, a person that has compromised labor, they, they have sin that comes in their life. And this was Solomon's problem. If we contrast David uh, and his son Solomon for a moment, David had tremendous sin in his life. But David always was confronted by the sin, and instead of getting angry that, that, that he was confronted, he was humbled, and he responded to God, and he sought God's forgiveness, and he sought restoration of the relationship so that God would be honored and pleased, and that he would find himself back in God's, in God's blessing. Solomon, on the other hand, just stayed away. He never responded. There's no record of him responding and repenting of his sin or his, uh, his turn to idols uh, or his turn away from God. He, he was compromised to the point that the Bible says that his heart was not perfect like David, his father's heart. My labor may look great outwardly, but if my heart is not pure with God, it is a compromised labor. Listen, they're, they're of, I, I, when I pastored in Arkansas, I pastored in a town of 50,000 people. There were literally 500 churches in that town, a few more than that. All right, it was a place, and, and I had a, a friend that pastored uh, that was with an organization called the Conference on Evangelizing Black America. Uh, and he grew up in Pine Bluff. And he went to Virginia and trained under a pastor there uh, that their whole focus was getting to the inner city communities uh, and trying to reach, uh, reach the inner city with the gospel. And, and he told me, he said, his, his name was Pastor Hart. He said, he said, man, he said, I tell you what I'm up against in my community. He said, the, the, you know, people don't like me preaching truth. They don't like me preaching moral purity. He said, because most of the churches in town, the pastor's wife is sitting right here and his mistress is sitting right here and everybody in the church knows it, but their attitudes, yeah, but he sure can preach. And that's not my opinion. That's what a pastor that was dealing with that in this community told me about his, his own people there. And it, it's just, that was the mindset. 
I'm just telling you this morning that doesn't work. That our loyalty must be to truth and godliness and purity and righteousness. That when my labor, however eloquent someone may wax from the pulpit, if their life is impure and compromised, then it doesn't matter. It's lost its authority. It's lost its power. It's lost its ability to woo hearts. Why is it important that my life is pure? Why is it important as a church member that my life is pure? Why is it important as a Sunday school teacher, as a deacon, as an attendee of a church, that my life and my, my relationship with God is, is genuine and pure and right, and at my, that God has my heart? Because the message of the gospel is dependent upon the purity of our hearts that it might resonate with the lost and have meaning. Listen, it's... it's those of you that are here that are searching for a church, I feel for you. I go and visit sometimes family members and I'm thinking if, if I lived here, I really don't know where I go to church. And I've been to many of them. And in some cases, I've worked in that area on a church staff. And so I'm really familiar with a lot of the cultures of the churches there. And I'm just thinking, you know, if I lived here, I'd either have to start a church or I'd probably just end up not going at all because everything is so corrupt. It loses its ability to lead and to guide. Why is it important that we're pure of heart? Because an impure heart compromises our labor. An impure heart compromises the message that's proclaimed. It compromises the message of the gospel. It compromises the truth as it's given so that it doesn't resonate in the heart with people. It calls attention to the sins of men rather than the power of God. A pure heart has uncompromised labor. Two thoughts. Number one, our failures will remain uncorrected. See, here's Solomon's problem. Solomon knew that he had sin in his life. He just wasn't willing to correct it. David had sin in his life, but was willing to correct it. You're not going to live a life that's free from sin. We're on a journey. This is a process. The power of our flesh is strong. The pull of this world is strong. And, and, and we find ourselves at times in places where we lose control, where we make bad decisions, where we get sinful in our hearts, where we get angry and we, uh, get, you know, we just spiral for a minute. Uh, and, and what I'm saying is that doesn't mean that God doesn't love me, that God won't forgive me, that God won't use me, that I can't regain God's power in my life. What it means is, is that my focus must be on when I become aware of that, that I want to get it right with God because I want my heart to be pure. A compromised heart will not correct its, inact, its, its bad behavior, its sinful behavior. If I'm the kind of a Christian that can come in and I can hear the truth proclaimed and it goes in one ear and out the other and I never feel any conviction. And by the way, if you, if you're, this is becoming a greater problem than the more that I listen to people talk, the more it, I, I think I kind of understand it used to be when I sat in church and I, and, I, and I heard the Bible preached and I felt some guilt in my heart about my sin that I called that conviction. Most people today have gotten to the point where they feel like, man, pastor's just being judgy and trying to manipulate me. I'm not interested in manipulating you. I am interested in all of us, including me, being convicted by my sin when the word of God is preached. Now I understand there are some people that stand in pulpits that are manipulators. I'm not talking about that. I'm not trying to justify that coercive type of, of authoritarian leadership. What I'm trying to say is if you're sitting under the preaching of God's word, you should feel some guilt over your sin on a regular basis. And that's not a bad thing. That is God demonstrating his love to you because he's convicting you about your sin so that you can confess it and forsake it to him, not to me, so that you can be right with him. Amen. Listen, you got sin in your life. I've got sin in my life. I don't need to hear about the sin in your life unless you need me to help you get past it. You have one high priest, his name is Jesus. Amen. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You don't, you don't need to tell me about every misstep that you make in life. Uh, it just, just If you're aware of it and God convicts you about it and you confess it to him, forget about it because he did. Amen. Be pure in heart. <laughs> Be a person that is able to have my life drawn back to God whenever God corrects me. Our failures will remain uncorrected if we have an uncompromised labor. And our labor 
will reflect our heart. Was my heart pure? My life will reflect it. See, the words that I speak, the attitudes that I have, the, the actions that I take reveal the purity or the impurity of my heart. So, Pastor, what about those people that are just really good at putting on a show? You can't keep that up all the time. You get to know them well enough, spend enough time with them, it'll sort out. You'll figure out who's genuine and who's real. You'll figure out who's good for you to spend time with. Say, Pastor, even in our church and every church. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that, you know, this church is corrupt and that church is corrupt and that church is corrupt, but ours is not. I will tell you this morning that every church has people in it that are impure at heart and pure at heart and in varying degrees in between. And as a Christian, I want to help those that need help. But if they're stubborn and determined to just be the way they are, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be friendly. If they need help loading the truck, I'll be there to help them. If they need uh, help figuring this out, I'll try to help them. But I don't want to spend the copious amount of time with them. Why? Because it's not healthy for me. I want to spend time with people that want to walk with God. I want to spend time with people that have a pure heart with God. I want to spend time with people that are authentic and genuine and real. I'll be kind and friendly to everybody as I can. And I'll pastor anybody that, that wants to, to, to be here uh, that's saved and, and loves the Lord. At least in their understanding of it. You, you don't have to like have a big checklist of things to, uh, to, to get on the, on the list of saying, okay, we'd love to have you. Listen, if you're saved and you've prayed about where God wants you and this is where God wants you, then praise the Lord for that. There's no biblical reason to hinder them. We want to help you grow. But I will tell you this. If when we come in and we get to the point, no matter how long we've been here, if you've been here longer than I've been here, then we're so stubborn that we're just like, this is as far as we go. God, this is all you get. I'm probably not going to be that interested in spending a lot of time with you because I don't want to get that attitude in my own life. I want to grow. I want God to fix me. I'm very broken. I have a lot of problems. And about the time I start feeling pretty good with myself, I go take a drive on the highway. Go through the parking lot at Walmart. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot. You say, man, Pastor, it really ought to take a lot more than that to get you disheveled. Yeah, it should. You're right. But sometimes it doesn't. We're broken people. We're impure at heart, naturally. But Jesus said, hey, I'm coming. And I'm going to have a ministry among you. And in that ministry, I'm going to reveal to you who I am. And when I reveal myself to you, you're going to see that you have a need. You're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to let your knowledge break you? Bring you to a point of godly sorrow and repentance? Are you going to let that knowledge bring you to a place where you're willing to submit to my authority and lead in your life? Are you going to come to a place where you begin to yearn for me, where you hunger for me, where you thirst for me, where you want me to be a part of your life. And when you do, you're going to start noticing some things changing in your heart. Your first impulse is not always going to be revenge. It's going to start being merciful. And your desire is not going to be to justify your sin but it's going to be to allow me to purify your life and your heart. I, I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you that as I preach this message that my heart is completely pure. I'd be lying. I really don't think any man could truthfully stand up and say that. I could tell you that it's more pure than it used to be. I, I can tell you that there's some things in my life that used to really be a struggle that really aren't too much of a problem anymore. But there's still plenty to work on. Where's your heart this morning? Is it pure? Does it desire God? Is it willing to humble itself before Him? Are we willing to change when God shows us areas in our life in which we need to grow? See, our devotion to everything in life is the outflow of our love for God. 
the more that I love him, the more devoted to him I am. What happens when marriages fall apart? The couple gets distracted with all kinds of other things. Sometimes it's kids, sometimes it's work, sometimes it's an affair. Until those things have more of their heart than their spouse. And then their life crumbles. Who has my heart this morning? Is your Christian life crumbling? Does Jesus have your heart? My love for him is demonstrated. The depth of that love in my lifestyle. Do I love him? Am I devoted to him? Because that love is the outflow of everything that I do. A pure heart will live in the presence of God. You see, we don't need to come into God's presence for a couple of hours on Sunday morning, for an hour and a half on Sunday night, for an hour on Wednesday night, a couple extra services when a revival comes along. We need the presence of God every minute of every day. We need to live in God's presence. Am I? Are you? Does he check in and check out? Do we say, okay, now I've got time for you. No, I don't. Or are we in his presence? We're masters at being in the room, but not being present. Drives me crazy. Sometimes adult children will be in the room. Completely oblivious to everything that's going on around them because their face is buried in the phone. They're present, but they're not present. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that's present, but not present. I want to be present and fully involved in my relationship with God and his relationship with me. I don't want my testimony to be, I checked in with God today. I want my testimony to be, I walked with God all week long. And today I came to worship him and to be an encouragement to my brothers and sisters in Christ so that I can go forth in his power and his strength to do his work because that's after all what he left us here to do.